This episode is brought to you by the Enneagram 5 community. Join our free community to get early access to episodes, attend live community events, and meet other Enneagram 5s like you. Visit the link in the description to learn more. We'll see you over there. So, Josiah. Yes. What's the best job you ever had? When I was in high school, I worked at a decades novelty store called Back in Time in the Rivergate Mall with my best friend. And all it was, was us showing up after school every day, eating Cheetos, getting free drinks from the cafeteria, folding t-shirts and listening to the Beatles. And it was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds pretty awesome, actually. One time, one of the guys that we worked with got banned from the mall. Ooh, okay. Scandalous. <laughs> so they had these old-timey Western pistol things Yeah, that were fake. Okay. But this guy thought it would be a fantastic idea to stage a fake gunfight with someone from another store. And oh, they ran out in the middle no. of the mall. But all you see on the security cameras... <laughs> Are two people (laughs) shooting guns at each other? Oh, no. So security came and they were banned from the mall for life. Sure. Yeah, that makes perfect sense that that would would happen that way. Um, They're really lucky nothing worse happened, actually, I think. One of my favorite things about this job, besides working with my best friend in high school, was not many people came into the store. I didn't actually have to interact very much. Mm. I really did just, we just hung out and played cards and folded t-shirts. Occasionally someone would come in and buy a poster or something and we'd ring them up and not have to talk much. And it was a blast for all of two months. Two months. (laughs) Well, they got a new assistant manager Uh. and she changed all the schedules. And so we only worked with her Mm. And we never got to work together again. They all. You think she knew? Oh yeah. Yeah, she knew we weren't doing anything. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and that was the beginning of a long and wondrous career for me. Mm. (laughs) I had I had a few mall jobs for sure. I hated my mall jobs though. I worked in American Eagle. Was one of my first jobs I ever worked in. Mm. I worked in a coffee shop in Barney's back when that was a thing. Coffee shop in Barney's? No, Barney's the coffee shop. Barney's the coffee shop. I don't remember. Barney's that. Coffee? You don't remember Barney's Coffee? I Mm-mm. think it came from the West Coast. I don't know. Somebody will fact check me on it, but we had one here, or maybe two at the time. It was a long time ago. I worked there, worked at Sunglass Hut, worked at a bunch of different places in the mall. And I worked at Sears Optical. I worked at Lens Crafters. I worked at, uh, I've worked everywhere. I literally made a circle around the mall. <laughs> <laughs> Hated every job, but my best job, if we're gonna, if I'm gonna answer the same question, is my favorite job that I ever had was definitely the projection manager for Carmike Cinemas. Yes, that I I always envied that job. Oh, that was, was so cool. It was the best job. You know, I think looking back on it, and and if I'm being real honest with myself, I'm not sure how much this has changed. Maybe I've just gotten a lot better at it. But I was always just looking for what's the job that requires the least amount of effort from me for the most amount of pay. Yeah. (laughs) 
that's the dream. <laughs> that's really what I searched for. So I was never one for manual labor. Yeah. I was never one for stuff like retail other than back in time. Like any kind of like real retail job was, was a no go for me. Yeah. I always found, I always worked my way into random. Like I was a computer tech at my community college. <laughs> I, yeah. um, I played music at a church. I, any, anything that I could think of that I didn't have to like actually do much. I could sit there. Well, that was the, that was the best <laughs> use, part. Use my, use my brain. Right. Well, I mean, I think that was the best part of the, the movie theater job. So I could just go to sometimes different theaters, mostly the same theater. And it was the most, it was the, the worst theater in town. There so was nobody had, came there. <laughs> well, yeah. And also too, nobody really gave a shit. <laughs> so what I did or like what, what happened so I could hide up in the projection room, put movies together, make it all happen. And then just kind of chill in the dark all the time is really essentially what I did. And I did random, I, I, I kind of exceeded my job's description, I guess, in some ways, because the guy who would come and work on the projectors, he, I ended up getting really interested in what he did. And so he taught me like some of the maintenance stuff that I was always having to call him for. And so then I was fixing the things, but then I was the only one in the building who knew how to do some of those things. So then they were calling me to come in instead of calling him, which I hated, but also secretly loved because I liked being the one who knew everything. And so that was fun. I loved that to some degree, but I mean, I also loved, I also, well, like I said in, I think I said in the previous, in our last episode, maybe it was the last episode, whenever I get bored, I start just screwing around and doing whatever. And so I got bored with this job really easily. So one of the things that I wanted to do was figure out how many people I could sneak into a theater after hours and watch a movie <laughs> they weren't supposed to watch. The most I ever did was for... The first Avengers movie, I snuck 47 people into oh the theater without anybody noticing. <laughs> That's amazing. In the exit door, like the emergency exit door. Everybody was standing in a line waiting to get in. It was everybody that I knew somehow. And they brought people who brought people. It's one of those situations where like if it was a teenage party in a, at your parents' house, it was a disaster. Oh, but in no. this moment, it's like everybody invited everybody else. And so everybody came and it was a full theater of people. No one knew. And they all got to see it a week early. <laughs> <laughs> See, that is the danger with us because we trick ourselves into thinking that, you know, we want to just do the least amount of, of effort. But right. then when we get bored, it's real bad for our employers, right? It doesn't. <laughs> yeah, we turn into gym on the office. <laughs> Or we just create chaos and, yeah. and see what we can get away with and see who we can outsmart and, and for how right. long. And uh, that has definitely, that's definitely came to bite me in the ass a few times. Oh, yeah? How, is, how so? So one thing I did was when I worked at this community college and I was essentially, so I, I worked on the administration side. So I, I was like the IT support okay. for all the faculty yeah. and administration. And which, by the way, that was when I first started to get a clue as to most how most people, pretty much everybody doesn't really know what they're doing. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So I went to, I remember I got this help desk call and I went to one of the faculty members. She had a PhD and I think was the head of a department. And I went in and she was meeting with a student and she said that her printer wasn't working. And so I went over and I looked at the printer and I looked at her computer and I opened up the print queue and it was just like a hundred documents in there. Of like, the same okay. document probably. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't check that. And then I went to the printer and I looked at it and I went boop and turned it on and everything started printing. 
Yeah. <laughs> the printer wasn't turned on. And that's when I realized just because you have some fancy degrees doesn't mean you're smart or doesn't mean you're smart. Maybe you're smart at like one thing and not at a whole lot of other stuff. So it's street yeah. smarts. Yeah. There's a, yeah. there's a whole lot of ways to be smart. That was one of the things that I learned. But what I did there, I, I started to get really bored because a lot of my job was waiting on things. Mm-hmm. So I would essentially set up machines. And so when new computers would come in, I'd wire them all up and hook them up and, and like batch install all the stuff that they need to install. So I would bring them all in and run that process. Uh-huh. And then I could just sit there for like a couple hours. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes I would accidentally, accidentally quote unquote, mess it up. So then I'd have to start over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I love that. Yeah. And then sometimes when I would go to. Oops. Hit that yeah, button. <laughs> I would go to do installs and stuff. I would always take twice as long just so I wouldn't have to. I would extend everything out because it was so slow and so boring. Yeah. And it started to get to where I kind of stopped showing up. I sort of made my own schedule. Yeah. And then I remember one time over Christmas break, I said I was going to come back in the new year and I didn't come back to like mid January. And when I showed up, they uh, hired somebody. There else. was a letter on my desk. Oh yeah. <laughs> you pushed it now, too far. I technically didn't get fired. I've, I've technically never gotten fired ever, ever. Um, I have technically, uh, my, I, I actually didn't even know this cause this was, I was in like a sophomore in college. I didn't know how any of this stuff worked, but I was technically a contract employee and they just didn't renew my contract at the end of the year. Oh yeah. Okay. And it was pretty funny too, because my boss, when I went in and talked to him, he was basically like, let's be real. You're meant for much bigger things than this job. <laughs> it's the nicest way ever to be like, you're not going to work here anymore. Yeah. And I was like, I know you're right, but still this sucks because it was like a cushy gig. But <laughs> on the flip side, the the thing I think, one of the things that we're, we're, we're a great asset in when it comes to being an employee or just a career path in general is that we love to learn and we can consume things really quickly and learn right. things really, really quickly. And that also has, that's been a huge asset for me. And I've been able to leak leapfrog my careers in a, in a lot of ways because mm. I learned stuff or was willing to jump in and figure it out when most other people weren't. And that was pretty awesome. So like when my first job, how that came about was I was like a junior in college and one of my professors randomly asked me if I could build him a website. Mm-hmm. He was an author and uh, he needed to promote his new book. And I was like, I just got a MacBook. I could totally build you a new website. <laughs> like, <laughs> figure it out. So I built in this like terrible, terrible iWeb website and he loved it. And actually another thing that I did that I'd never done before was I borrowed someone's DSLR camera and took photos of him. Mm. And like, okay. I went and I didn't know how to do any of this stuff. I just kind of guessed based off like what I saw from like movies and TVs and, and shows and stuff. And I got like this foam whiteboard so we could do a bounce. So I could like take some of the shadows out and like, it was actually a pretty cool picture that we put on the top of his website and he used it in like all of his stuff and he loved Mm. it so much that then he referred me to his sister-in-law who was also an author Mm. and I built her site. Uh And by that point I had for all of you, for all of you web geeks out there, I had upgraded to doing Photoshop export to web. So I basically designed the whole thing in Photoshop (laughs) and exported as a bunch of tables and, and, and it was just, it was so bad, but it worked. And I fell in love with doing coding and, and that sort of stuff. 
through that process. And when I became, so when I started my senior year, I was working at the airport and I'd been working there for about eight months. And this was the summer of 2008. Okay. So if you think back to what was going on in the summer of 2008, it was the, you know, the height of the financial crisis. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Fuel went up so like a crazy amount. Yeah. And literally, so we were, we technically worked for the Chattanooga airport, but they contracted us out to smaller airlines, like the ground crew and stuff, so that these smaller airlines could operate out of the the airport in Chattanooga without all the overhead of full-time employees. And I remember one day we showed up to work and it was basically like, we have nothing for you to do because the airline, I think it was Skybus, the airline went bankrupt. Oh, Skybus. <laughs> I remember Skybus. Yeah. Yeah. And so basically by, by that summer, by the end of the summer, I was getting like four hours of work a week because all the flights had been like the flight schedules had been reduced so much that there was no work for me. So I'm like, I got to figure something out. Wow. Yeah. And I happened, I happened to land this gig at a nonprofit and I was basically their creative department. So I had done, I knew that I knew you during all this part. Yeah. We knew each other then. Yeah. We actually, we met that summer. We met the summer of 2008. Yeah. Man, it's crazy to think all of that terrible stuff was happening in the world. And I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I mean, it wasn't affecting me personally, which is terrible, but I don't know. I feel like I'm so much more aware of what's happening in the world now. Yeah, I I graduated. So I graduated in 2009, which is like the worst time to graduate to date. Well, except for maybe last year, Uh, but (laughs) yeah, in upcoming years, depending on how things are going. Sure. But it was a terrible time to graduate. And I was so fortunate because they hired me my senior year part time. And as soon as I graduated, they offered me a full time gig. And it was it was really great. And I I was so oblivious to how much they they started me off at the salary that was more than like I should have been paid. And I had some really cushy benefits and it was awesome. But I was a creative in an office with like grant makers and accounting people and like HR stuff. And I had to dress business casual every day and show up you and yeah, you know, and I could finish all my stuff in like a day and then I've got four days a week. So then I started trying to come up with projects, but then I run into all this red tape. I'm like, what, what's even the point? So then I just, I would do my stuff and then I would spend literally 20 to 30 hours a week watching video tutorials on everything I could think of. So I learned like the whole Adobe suite, the whole Final Cut suite. Wow. I, I like anything that I could find, I would just, I would consume and learn and level up and as, mu- as much as I could. And then I would take those skills and be like, this is all the stuff that I can do that we can do. And I was like, mm, no, we don't want to do that because this, this, and this. And, yeah. and so I kept running. And so that's when I, I realized that I'd kind of hit a ceiling. Right. Of I want, I learned all this stuff. I wanted to apply it. And I didn't have an avenue for that. So instead, I started picking up some side work and then transitioned into running my own business until I failed miserably six months later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But that was the beginning for me of realizing that one of my great strengths is that I'm a learner. And not everybody's like that. A lot Mm -hmm. of people aren't. It's interesting because for learners, the way that, or at least for me, this, the first six months of a job are my favorite. Yeah. And for right. for most other people, that's the worst part. Like they want to, like the first six months are so uncomfortable. And then finally, once they start figuring out, they get into their groove and like, yeah, this is, this is it. I get into that groove and I'm like, I hate Ugh. this. Yeah. 
I feel exactly the same way. No, I I never thought of it that way, but that's a perfect example of a five thing because it's when it's all new and you're learning and you're absorbing new information, you're learning new skills. Like that's when it's actually really awesome. And that's something that you want to be doing. I I never really thought of it that way, but yeah, I mean, I have always been aware of the, the, the plateau. As Mm -hmm. soon as you hit that plateau, as soon as you're like, I got this, then it's like, okay. And I think I'm actually in that position now in this, in my current job where like, I'm just now starting, I'm still, there's everything's still a little bit of a challenge, but I know that the time, the time is coming soon where I'm going to actually have it all. And it's going to be how much do I really love this job? Cause it's coming, <laughs> you know, I know it's coming. The other part of it though is, and this is something I learned later is there are a lot of people problems mm, okay. when you're in the type of job that you're in. And those tend to be either unsolvable or, or much harder to solve so they can keep your attention That's true. longer yeah. than a typical, you know, when I got into software engineering and it was, unless you're doing something really greenfield, like something brand new, mm-hmm. which I did a few times, like I would join startups and, and that right. was really fun at first. And then once we built the thing, then we had to maintain the thing. Uh, yeah, you always had a very just, different yeah. perspective of startups than I did. I, I I feel like I joined a couple of startups and they always sucked <laughs> or bombed <laughs> and they didn't last very long. Yeah, I had I, I had a couple of really cool experiences in my career that really leapfrog it, leapfrogged it because for that very reason, it was something new and I had no idea what I just was doing. But I mm. said I raised my hand and said I can figure this out, and I did, and it was wildly successful, and that gave me. Uh, some amazing things to put on my resume to get the next job. Sure. But the other piece of it is that I experienced was there when you are the type of person like we are as fives, where you do get bored easily and you want to tinker with things, you're learning new stuff. You want you're always wanting to like improve things. And one thing I think we're great at too, is we're not attached to the status quo. A lot of people get attached to it. Yeah, for better or worse, that's yeah, a, that's right. kind of yeah. a curse. Yeah, there aren't a lot of sacred cows with us, right? So we're right. we're we're not really super attached. And and the other thing that drives me crazy in any workplace is when I ask why something is the way it is and try to change it, and they're like, "Well, it's just that's how it, it always is. it's always been that way." And so immediately you're like, I'm like yeah. "Nope, yep, I'm done." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, is I've, that how you think? Okay, I'm done. I'm gonna I'm quitting now. Actually, and I've run into you know I've run into that a few times. So. For example, after my business crashed and burned terribly, because I had no idea what I was doing, and the video business. Yeah, I was doing. I was trying to do freelance video production, web production. Yeah, and I had no idea how to run a business. And I didn't really care to learn how to run a business. I just wanted to buy video equipment and tinker with stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, you know, no concept of my clients getting a return on investment. Mm-hmm. And so, so that didn't last very long. But then I took a job out in Bellingham, Washington, and I joined the software company. And it was really great because for the first time in my life, really, I had a mentor that knew me. I often say that, um, you know, the show House, I always describe my friend Nathan as if as House, but if he were a pastor. <laughs> so he's like... So really bad at being a pastor. <laughs> no, no. So he, he's probably the smartest person I know. Uh And he is really good at reading people. And instead of using that to manipulate them Mm. to get what he wants, he uses it to manipulate them to help them become the best version of themselves. But he says it's not manipulation because, 
And he does this. It drives me crazy. He's like, I, I tell you what I'm going to do. And then I tell you what I'm doing. And then I tell you what I did. And so I'm upfront about it the whole way, but then it, it still works out the exact way I said it was going to work out. And this, he did this so many times to us when uh, we were working for him and it drove me crazy. But one of the, which is funny because he essentially just, you're a 2.0 version of him because you do the exact same thing now. I, a lot of what I learned. <laughs> yes. Uh, a lot of, a lot you of, you do it to me all the time and now it drives me crazy. <laughs> so thanks Nathan. <laughs> That was one of the things, like I never really had a mentor before. I, I didn't have a living example of what success could look like for me. Yeah. And he's not a five, he's an eight. Uh, okay. And so it made a lot of sense for me because what he, one of the things that he did was he, like from the very beginning, he pushed me into leadership because I was a reluctant leader. And I ended up like my first day, he sat down with me and said, I didn't hire you to be an entry level coder. I hired you to take over my job in six months. What? That doesn't make any sense. Slash, you loved that sentence. <laughs> I did, yeah. Because <laughs> um, I would love to hear that. And 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 sure enough, like it was almost six months to the day that I ended up leading the team. We were leading the marketing technology team. And it was really cool because we, we were at this place where, as a company, it was like 15 years old, but we had hit this hyper growth mode, so it felt like a startup. So while I was there, the marketing department went from 12 people to 70 people. And the company wow. went from like, I think I was like employee 230 to 18 months later, we were at like 400. Yeah. And and a lot of that growth was driven by Nathan and the, the way that he led marketing and his influence over the company. And so I got to learn so much while I was there. I am a project manager in the construction industry. My background is engineering. That was my degree, and I worked in the same industry at a previous job more as an engineer, so more sitting at the desk and staring at the screen. Very autonomous. That was probably what I liked about it the most, but it wore on me over time, and I just didn't feel like there was a lot of opportunity to grow in that. It felt like I'd learned everything that there was going to be, at least in that industry and what I was doing. So when I moved and switched to a new company, I took on a project management role, which was new to me, and I was nervous about it because I knew how much more it was going to require of me, like in group settings and meetings, just speaking up more in general than just what I was used to. But it was really what I needed. I remember starting and not even really wanting to speak up in meetings. And fast forward three years later, I'm running meetings. So a lot of that has to do with competence, though. You know, when I first started, I didn't feel competent. And as time has gone on, and I do. And my job is essentially information gathering. I'm behind the scenes trying to gather all the information to support the field, put it all together in a nice and organized fashion to be able to hand off to them and they can just run with it. So I do all the background gathering and I quite like that. So really the only dislike, so to say, would be the draining experience of dealing with people as much as I have to. So the other piece where this really started to bite me in the ass was it was a weird political dynamic within the company. Mm. They were kind of a, they had this old school Microsoft mentality of this is what it means to be a developer. And this is weird kind of protection around that where we were in the marketing department 
and we weren't allowed to call ourselves developers and we had to be, we had to call ourselves coders oh, and okay. this is this is probably too much in the weeds but like i we couldn't really do we could only kind of manipulate some stuff on like the front end and the browser we couldn't like do stuff on the back end and with databases and stuff like that because that was developing and we weren't developers uh, and it yeah. was it was which you know i had some people on my team that were really brilliant and were better developers than some of the, a lot of the developers that were in the software development department. Mm. And there was just no recognition of that. And of course, as a five being challenged on my, and my team's ability to do something well, that requires a good level of intelligence and thinking things through and learning stuff. I I didn't handle that well. Yeah. But one of the things that (laughs) where I really started to make some waves was we had in the department all of the emails, and we sent out millions of emails a month. Mm-hmm. And all of the all of the campaigns had to be sent through one person, and they had to hand code the emails in order to get them out. And this person was w- working like sixty hours a week, and you know was <laughs> was a huge bottleneck. Yeah, and it was because they were the only one who knew how to code emails because it's a very specific thing. And so what I did was I took our, we just did this big rebrand and I took the new templates and I went to try to find a tool back then. There was no tool that really did this, but I wanted to create a a tool that let all the marketing assistants create emails and have it work within the templates. And so I, I couldn't find it. So I'm like, I could figure out how to build this myself. So I built this tool that was like a drag and drop interface that had all of our templates and all the template parts. And you could drag them over and you just like with a WYSIWYG, like, input the content and then click a button and it spits out the code and you put the code in the email platform and that's it. So not only did it decrease the time to like a third of what it was before to create emails, it allowed all of the marketing assistants to create emails because they could, they didn't have to touch any code. Yeah. They could just put the stuff in. So it like everyone in the marketing department loved it. It was this huge. And, and I, and I spent my nights and weekends working on this. So I did it outside of work and I would go to sleep thinking about it, like coding stuff in my head. And I would wake up the next morning and I would go into work early so that I could like get all the code out of my head and, and get it into, so, so that I can yeah. before my work day started because right. I didn't have the bandwidth to do it within my normal working hours. Yeah. And I got called into a meeting mm-hmm. with the CEO of the company. Oh no. Okay. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm about to get like a promotion or something. Like I built this thing. It's super badass. I won a company award for it. We had these like peer nominated awards that we did every month. Yeah. And he tells me that I should be fired. And that the only reason why I'm not fired is because I spent my nights and weekends working on it instead of doing it on company time because I crossed the line into being a developer. developer. Yeah. And I wasn't allowed to do that. Wow. Yeah. And that's when I'm like, okay, well, I'm out. Like I I started looking for another job and get out of there as quickly as I could because I realized that if you're going to put constraints on my ability to learn and grow and to solve problems. And also without seeing like what you are capable of and what your yeah. passions are and utilizing that for your own company and for your own financial investment. Yeah. I mean, you're paying for this person to be there and they're better than what you're trying to give them and you're trying to make them do, I can go on for this yeah, for a yeah, long yeah. time. This so really the, the funny thing is, oh yeah, I was so angry. And <clears throat> the funny thing is, I learned out later from my boss, the software development team, they had a whole team 
that was trying to build a similar thing into their platform. Yeah. It was trying to build a similar thing into their platform. Right. And it was really shitty. <laughs> and so the CEO went to them and pointed them to my tool and said, I want you to do it like this, 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 and this. No. <laughs> <laughs> but would never tell me that. That makes me so yeah. mad. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah, no, I hate, so that's that's almost an immediate turnoff for me is when a company just has this way of thinking and they stay with it no matter what. And one of my number one biggest pet peeves of a company these days is the nine to five, you have to be in the office Monday through Friday. Because most jobs are not like that anymore and they shouldn't be like that. Madison's job's like that, I probably shouldn't say this, but they <laughs> she's been working from home for a year. This is only my opinion, so I guess it doesn't really matter, but... She's been working from home for a year. She does what she does really, really well from home for a year. They're, her team is more productive from home for a year. Mm-hmm. And they just said, they're making we're making you come back into the office in November or whatever. And they're making them come back last or something because they're not actually necessary to be in the office. But they're going to make them come back and basically gave them an ultimatum and was like, well, you have to... If you want to grow in this company, you have to be in this office. And she's oh. like, that's really cool because now I'm going to spend... <laughs> So much time, like what happens when they get ahead and they're going to sit there and do nothing because like they have to sit there and do nothing. You know, it's just, there's Mm. so many things about that kind of job that immediately turns me off. And I'm like, nope, this is not the place for me. I'm going to quit. And so as soon as stuff like that happens, I immediately start looking for another job. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah. And which is why I've had probably, I think I counted recently and it was 35 or 37 jobs in my life. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I don't I don't think I've had that many. I've probably had yeah. like, you know, 15 to 20. And I I definitely haven't stayed longer than 2 years. And that's definitely my max of where I've been. Yeah. Um, when I was doing when I was running my own business for the second time, I did that for about 3 years. That was the longest I've ever done any one thing. But yeah, by by the time I hit the 6 to 12 month mark, I would start, you know, getting antsy and then by the 18 month mark usually I was out because I wanted I'd moved on. I'd hit the the ceiling of what I could do. Yeah. And everything after that was kind of incremental and diminishing returns. And so I'm like, yeah, I, I want out. I want to go do something new and exciting. I want to get back into that place where I'm just in over my head in the deep end and, and learning. Yep. And I'm the same exact same yeah. way. Yeah. It drives me insane. I, and I feel like there's so many jobs that I've had to where it, they, you know, you, like you, it, it's different contexts of that exact same thing. Cause like I said, I've had, I, so I, I spent a lot of my time, I, you know, in my past life, I went to seminary and I did the whole thing and I tried to do, I worked in churches, but obviously churches never pay you enough for your work. So mm-hmm. I always had other jobs and those part-time jobs were throwaway jobs to me, which is why a lot of the number of my jobs racked up really quickly in that span of like 10 years that I worked in churches. And so I I had so many different kinds of jobs, but I remember one job that I had, which was actually a full-time job was at a cabinet shop. And I actually, my brother already worked there. So he got me the job, my brother and a couple of my friends worked there. And so, and I worked there, this is going (laughs) to, there's a few reasons why I hated this job, but not as going to, it's not going to be the one you think it is. And so I get there and they have me, you know, automatically they're like, all right, so we're going to put you in the area where everybody starts. It's the sanding and staining area for cabinets, right? So it's the thing that you really don't need to know anything to be able to do. So they can teach you in an hour and you know how to do it. So all day, every day from morning to evening, all I did was sand 
cabinet doors, cabinet frames, cabinet sides and stain them, sand them again. And then they'd be ready to go to go into the spray booth. They'd spray them one coat, bring it back out. I'd sand it again, spray it again, sand it again, <laughs> spray it again, sand it again. No. So you do multiple layers of sanding and, and you know, and spraying yeah. to get it that clean, smooth finish. I loved that part. Oddly oh, enough. Wow. See, told yeah, you. Didn't I, see where this is going. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have guessed that. It took me a really long time to get tired of that part. And the thing is, I knew that there was something that I was working towards, which was mm. that eventually, I think that their main plan was they wanted me to take over the spray booth, which I thought I'd be very good at. And so eventually, they started letting me do that stuff. But before that happened, I was there. <laughs> I really don't know how long it was because when I look back on it, it feels like an eternity that I was doing this one thing. But, you know, I just pop in my headphones, listen to podcasts or listen to music and just kind of zone out and do the thing. So, like, for me, that was mm. busy work where I also could do whatever I wanted to in my own head, yeah. learning, do you know, whatever. Plus, it was a fun environment because it was super laid back and chill. The boss was, for the most part, fairly cool for the, until, you know, the business started <laughs> crashing and then he became very stressed out. But before that, he was really fun. For instance, we could very easily talk him into uh if we went to like buffalo wild wings for lunch and everybody would go i could talk we could if we got him playing golden tea because he was a huge a huge <laughs> golf fan so we we got him playing golden tea after a couple beers we could have a three-hour lunch <laughs> <laughs> so like you know he was pretty cool and so and then the the essentially the assistant manager of the cabinet shop was my friend's brother older brother and so it, in half of the cabinet shop was related it was like my friend who played used to play music with me his older brother and his uncle and then me and my brother and then this one guy who ran this the uh spray booth and then the boss that was all who was in there so for the most part if the boss was gone or whatever then maybe they were out doing things or whatever it would be us in the cabinet shop so we'd be blaring music doing all kinds of crazy stuff having all these antics and stuff going on and so there was a lot of days where you could just goof off and so it was kind of a nice break from just me like standing here stand sanding and staining and things over and over again but during that time where i started this job i had the guy who ran the spray booth, he is an ex-Marine and he had no boundaries or shame whatsoever for anything. And so his way of breaking me into this job was finding every possible way to see if he could set me off and make me angry from morning till evening, every single day. So all he did was he would insult or say derogatory or sexist or terrible things about the girlfriend I had at the time. He would constantly say all different, I mean, just everything he could possibly say to try to offend me or make me angry or whatever. This went on for about, I want to say it was probably two months or so. And one day I came, I didn't, I never said a word, never let it bother me, never, you know. And I, one day he comes in, I came in and he goes, you know, you put up with a lot of shit from me. You're cool in my book. And from that point on, <laughs> never bothered me ever again and was actually cool with what me. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Little did he know, as a five, I just zoned him out all the time. You can zone people out. So I would just, yes. I never, ever listened to him. So he would say oh. things and I was just thinking about something else. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, yeah, it didn't get to me because I never heard him. Never underestimate our ability to just completely wipe, wipe the moment. Wipes, yeah, and wipe <laughs> someone off the face of the earth in our minds. Oh, like, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, we can just, you know, zoop, you don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yep, that's exactly what happened. And so, yeah, and then I started, after that, he started teaching me things in the spray booth and all these different <laughs> things. Turned out that was a crazy job and it was never going to last anyway because the boss had a thing with his ex-wife where he was terrified she was going to take all of his money. And there was like a random, I remember there was a random recliner in the spray booth where it was covered in, in paint. I don't even know why it was in there. And then I found out there was like $20,000 cash hidden in that, <laughs> that chair. <laughs> <laughs> He was crazy. He was absolutely crazy. He had like three bank accounts. Um, so yeah, that, that whole job crashed and burned eventually. All of the best jobs that I had, I feel like crashed and burned pretty quickly. Mm. Uh, no, nothing gold can stay. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> good lasts forever. And I think that it's funny too. I mean, the way that life works and how many jobs I've had somebody, eventually that job, that business did, you know, go bankrupt and they quit or whatever. And Years later, somebody else hired me as a, in a cabinet shop, and it was the same cabinet shop with the same equipment. No way. Doing the same thing. <laughs> and I, I was hired on the premise that, hey, I ran this spray booth for like six months or whatever, and like or however long it was, and I feel like I'm pretty good at it. If I get back in the swing of it, I could probably run your spray booth for you. Let me do that. And they hired me, and I was like, by the way, I'm dyslexic with numbers. Do not put me on the building side. I cannot build boxes. I don't can't do fractions, can't count in my head. I will cut everything wrong. <laughs> I actually I don't know if I knew that about you. Really? Oh yeah, no. Cannot count in my head. Can't imagine any kind of math in my head at all. Huh. So I failed math miserably in high school and except for geometry. That's a counter five stereotype, right? Yeah, which I think we had somebody uh say something in one of our past episodes about math and I was like Yes, when I heard that response, like me too. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it is a counter five thing. I've never been good at math, never been able to count in my head, can't visualize problems in my head. They're always backwards, they're always messed up. And I found out after much research, after a doctor mentioned, they're like, that's kind of that's how dyslexia with numbers works, is it's visual, it's all in your head, it's not what you read. And so I was like, What? And so I looked it up and I'm like, Oh, I guess I have that. <laughs> so random thing. But course what they do they put me on the side with the building and they wouldn't listen to me and that was also infuriating oh my god and of course like after about two weeks they were like yeah we don't want you back and i was like no <laughs> no shit idiot <laughs> like, i told you i couldn't do this so yeah oh that yeah you touched on something there drives me insane when there's so many times we're like we have a pretty good sense of how we can optimize things Mm -hmm. Like how we, we, we're really good at figuring out like what's efficient. I tend to be a pretty empathetic and positive person. It's good for you. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the former me would say, uh, why the hell are there so many stupid people? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can still say that. You just empathize yeah. with them a little bit. Like you're still people, just yeah, stupid I, people. You know? Yeah. That's how I live in the world. I have a completely different outlook than I used to, but yeah. I can definitely relate to the times in my life when I just was baffled at how dumb people were when they made decisions. And this, in spite of me telling them why that was going to fail and them not listening to me, I just, I can't comprehend it. it just drives me crazy. I don't understand it. Yeah. No, I mean, I've had, I've had so many instances in my life where I'm like, no, that's not going to work. And they're like, well, we're going to do it. And I'm like, all right, well, it's going to fail. <laughs> and it failed. <laughs> Oh, and now you're coming to complain to me about why it failed? Oh, oh poor you. That's yeah. so bad. Yeah, I was always very mean. If, <laughs> if something failed and they were like trying to talk to me about it, I'm like, I don't give a shit if it failed. I told you it was going to, and you're, you wasted your energy. 
which is against my entire like life for real life theme like or life uh, motto yeah. don't waste energy yeah Ugh. it's the very ethos of what how we rule our lives i'm a professional researcher and as you might imagine, as a five, I love it. Just getting paid to investigate and then share results in writing, which is a very comfortable way of communicating for me. It's fantastic and I really enjoy it. It's something that makes me feel competent. I get really absorbed and focused when I'm working and I always come out of working feeling really good about myself. I used to be a researcher for organizations where I had to go into the office and sit in open floor plans with desks all next to my coworkers. And when I did that for eight hours a day plus every day, I had very bad mental health and, you know, I didn't enjoy it at all. Eventually, I moved to working from home and after that, eventually moved to freelancing and working for myself. And those two moves have been enormously beneficial in helping me to love what I do and to be healthy and well. I own Beard Joy, which is a men's grooming company that caters to men with beards. I absolutely love the R&D part of what I do. I love when all the research and all the creativity come together to design a new product. That is really what gets me going. I'm an introvert by nature, uh, but as the face of my company, I am forced to be out there. So anytime I'm set up in an event in front of the public, shaking hands, all that stuff, that can be super draining to me. So I mentioned this in one of our previous conversations, but I wanted to bring it back up again because I thought it was really important in terms of this problem solving that we get into this mode where we love puzzles and we love figuring things out and problem solving. And when we don't have that, right. we get bored yep. and oftentimes destructive. And one thing that I learned about myself was I made the switch in my career from software engineering into product management and probably way too in the weeds, but I'm a five. So I like to do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So what I realized was that technical problems could only be interesting to me for so long until mm. I found like I was kind of just trying to find different ways to do the same thing yeah. and it didn't hold my interest. And I realized that coding for me was just a means to an end because what I really cared about was the customer problem. I cared about what meaningful change I was making for some person or group of people in what I was doing. Right. And that's when I realized, okay, actually what I want to do is product management. And I spent, I don't know, it would have been like eight or nine years just trying to figure out what would be a good career for me. Yeah. And I, I always felt like I was out of place or this wasn't the right role or whatever. And it was when I found product management that for me personally, I felt at home. I was like, this is the role that is tailor made for me because it, it combines like the technical stuff that I love with the customer empathy and, and digging in, you know, my background is in documentary filmmaking. I did that in college and coming out of college and right. And there's an aspect of that because I'm, I'm sitting down with someone and I'm, I'm like getting to the root of their why behind 
you know, why they want to make this change in the software or the problem they have in their business they're trying to solve with the software. Mm-hmm. And so I'm digging in and asking why and getting to the root of that to understand the kernel of like their motivation. And then, and then the other piece of it is I'm weaving a narrative out of that. So I'm weaving a narrative for, for their sake that can be used in the marketing. I'm weaving a narrative to rally the entire company behind an objective and to help the engineering and design team to understand what it is that we're building and why. And that is so much fun to me because they're such hard problems and I'm never bored. This is the first role that I've had where I never get bored because it's always something new. It's always something different. It's always something challenging. There's never an easy answer. It's never clear cut and dry. And I thrive in that, but it took me so long to figure that out. And the other piece of it too, is that I'm a generalist and I know that the, that fives kind of come in a couple of flavors where I feel like some people really love to go deep on something. And I do love to do that, Yeah. but I also, I've, I love to learn about so many things and I've learned theory about so many things and then I've been able to apply it to a few specific things. But because of that, I have a really broad understanding of a lot of stuff and that really helps in this role because this product management role is a jack of all trades. I wear a ton of hats and I have to be able to tailor my conversation from when I'm talking about why we're doing something or why we're not doing something. I have to be able to explain the same thing to an engineer and to like a board member and be able to tailor that conversation to each person specifically right. in order to get their buy-in on it. Yeah. And that's so challenging. And it really pushes me as a communicator, which is something that I like really lacked most of my life. Mm. And I've had it's forced me to hone those skills. And and that's so I've done things like I took when I first got into the product management role, I realized like I'm terrible at thinking on my feet. And speaking when I'm like put on the spot. So I took improv classes. <laughs> when? Yeah. Well, this was uh, when we were living in Nashville. And oh, I, uh, wow. By the way, Third Coast, uh, <laughs> Nashville Improv. The guys who started that are from Second City, which is like the famous place in Chicago, which is where wow. like all the SNL people yeah. train. It's I've amazing. Actually, I've seen shows at that one yeah. in Chicago. Yeah. It's, it's, amazing. A, it's amazing. I absolutely loved my classes there. And I would have kept going, except... Around the time when they ended, I had another career change for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so if we want to, if we want to go down that story just now, we're there. We're there chronologically. Okay. I didn't know if you wanted to chime in with any more stuff before I get into all that. Oh, I, I will say that I think that I I definitely relate in some ways to what you're saying now. I've never really had. I don't think that I've ever really had a job where. I felt challenged from every direction the way mm. that you're talking about until now. And that has drastically improved getting up every morning and going to work because my work is not uh, sedentary. It's, it's driving around, it's seeing people, it's doing things. And, and, and a lot of it is, is tailoring my conversation or the way that I approach talking about different items or different things about inventory or whatever to each account based on their needs and their, what they're looking to sell and, and how they're going to sell it. So I'm, I've had to learn over time how to switch and tailor my conversations based on every single person I talk to. And I see, I don't, I've learned over time, over the short amount of time I've been in this job that well, I mean, how many accounts I have is actually not that many accounts, but I have 50, 50 something accounts, 52 or 53 accounts. 
And you think about 53 different types of buyers that I'm seeing every single week or talking to on a regular basis, and they all have different needs and different views. I talked to a rep today, though, who said originally years ago, he had 115 accounts. Jeez. And it's just hard for me to imagine (laughs) ever. Is that exhausting for you? What part? Just Just the managing all of those relationships at once. Yes. Constantly exhausting. That's the one part of my job I don't like at all. But I look at it kind of as a challenge because in some ways, if I look look at them less as relationships and people and look at them more as constant problems that are evolving and changing and I have to find a new solution every single week. That's one of the most five things you've ever said. Yeah. Um, it's a lot easier for me to make, make it like a game and make it like a puzzle that I'm, it's an ever changing, ever evolving puzzle that I'm trying to make work. Right. As soon as I get all the pieces in place one week, the next week, it's completely different. And it's always a different thing. You know, there's always different challenges. You know, one week I'll have one week. I had two different suppliers come in that wanted to ride with me and see all my accounts at the same time. And so it completely disrupted my whole week. And so I had to completely change my week to try to make it work where I still got my orders. I still made my sales. I still got commission that week while also making these suppliers happy and getting, letting them see all the accounts and try to sell their stuff too. And it's so that, I mean, there's always a change in things going on. There's always new challenges and new, new things. And so that in, in that regard, it's always been fun because it's a constant problem solving in a sales aspect, which is less tangible. I spoke in a different, in a past episode about my last job. Cause at the time I was still in that job hoping to get this job and because it was we recorded it last year and and you know and what's great about that job even though it was a retail wine and and liquor and spirit or wine spirits and beer store and it was high end it was still retail and so there's only Mm. so much that they can do but what was great about that job was whenever i got into even before i was in the management position i remember i was back in the back and nobody ever took account of the the grocery corner it was always a huge mess all the and we call it grocery like all the things like mixers and Things that were non-alcoholic, right? Or like the box wine, even. Some of that was kind of lumped all together. And so there was this corner that everybody just kind of became this mess and nobody ever wanted to do anything. And I was like, you know, I ain't got nothing to do today. I'm going to organize these shelves. I'm tired of looking at it. And so I did it. And then very quickly, that became like the thing that everybody expected me to do because no one else wanted to do it. (laughs) And I just kept doing it because it was busy work. It was easy to do. You know, this is obviously before I was manager. And then one day I remember thinking, you know, it'd be really great is if we had, if we cleaned off all of these shelves in the middle that were just storage and we made that the wine club and we put all the wine club in alphabetical order on these shelves instead of putting them up front where everybody could see them and it was terrible with everybody's name on the bag, put them back here. So I cleaned off all the shelves. I did all this thing. I was like, hey, look at what I did. We did these things. We're going to do this now. And I remember the GM's like, wow, this was actually really great. Yeah, this is really cool. And that was the first time that he fully acknowledged my system and was like, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to do that from now on. And so a few more things, like little things like that happen. And then eventually I wanted the sales. I wanted the manager job that had opened up. And he uh, sat me down and was like, I just don't know if I want to give you the the job. You don't know a lot about beer. You know, you don't know the most about beer and only, you've worked here for a long time, but you've been part-time. You've had other jobs. I don't know if you really want to be here. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to tell you right now, I wouldn't have said that I wanted this job if I didn't want the job. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's pause on that for a second because <laughs> here's the thing. Uh, and I, I, I think my wife has learned this at this point. Mm-hmm. If I'm here, and I'm doing the stuff, I've made that decision. Yeah. Yeah. If I am, if I've said I want to do something, yeah, I want to do it. I yeah. want to do that thing. Yeah. Like I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna waste a bunch of time and energy and effort trying to pretend yes. things on a regular basis. Like in general, 
just take me at my word and stop questioning me when I when I yes. say yes or no or why I want to do this or I don't want Completely to do this. Completely agree. Yeah. Yes. I'm the same way. I think Madison's still learning that a little bit, but Okay, tangent over. Go ahead. Okay. So, you know, he sat me down. He's like, Why should I give you this job? And he, you know, you don't you don't know beer really. You're not the most qualified in the beer knowledge world, which, you know, a little bit hurt me because of five. <laughs> uh, he was right, but you know. But I already knew. I already knew where I was going with this. And he was like, you know, you did this. You you were part-time here. You've never really been full-time. So why should I give you this? And I was like, well, first of all, if I didn't want the job, I wouldn't have asked for it. I'm willing to commit and be here full-time. This is my only job. This is the thing I'm going to commit to. This is a priority. And in my addendum in my head was, I'm going to use this to get a better job later on. And so you're going to get 100% of me. And let me tell you why. You don't want somebody who knows everything about beer in this position. What you want... <laughs> is someone who knows a lot about sales in this position. It has nothing to do with beer. It has everything to do with selling beer. And so, you know, we had that meeting and I, I explained to him, I was like, you've had people who knew everything about beer and they didn't sell beer. They just talked about beer all day and made everybody feel uh, inferior about right. beer all yeah. day. And that's not what you want. What you want is somebody who's super approachable, doesn't give a shit about what beer is the best beer or the worst beer unless somebody asks and when somebody comes up and says, what beer should I get? You say, you should get all of these beers. But in my mind, whenever I would recommend something, yeah, they were great beers. I wouldn't recommend bad beers, but also wouldn't have bad beer in the store mm. either. So I could recommend any beer. It was whatever beer I needed to sell that week or whatever I wanted to sell or whatever I needed to move off the shelf or whatever was about to expire or whatever the thing is, which no other manager before me had had that kind of mindset of these things. There was goals you need to sell, yeah. you know? And so there was multiple reasons in that regard. I, within six months, I had more than doubled sales from any other time in the store. Mm -hmm. And so you, that, but that was not because I knew beer because I didn't, I learned about beer on the job. Yeah. And what you knew, what you tapped into there was that you understood that what people really wanted when they came in, was to feel good about the decision that they right. were, they were making. Yes, completely. Yeah. And they honestly they want the decision to be easier. Yes. And you're helping them make that decision a lot easier. Yeah. And they can feel good about it. And they and then they have an experience. And then if they don't like the beer, then it's it's like, "Oh, well, I tried it and I tried something new and that was a good experience and I didn't like it, so I can go back and see what else they have and continue to tailor my recommendations based on my feedback." So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I <laughs> I love that you did that. And you were like, okay, so here's why you don't want everything. someone that knows everything about beer. Yeah. You're asking for the same thing you always had. And it's how has that worked out for you? Is essentially what I said. And he kind of stopped. And I remember him looking off and goes, you know, all right, you're right. And he ended up giving me the job. And the same thing came up when I was leaving the job. Hmm. And he said, who do you think should be, who do you think knows the most about beer? And I said, that's not the question you should be asking. Let's go back to the first question you asked me. And I was like, you need the person who knows the most about who's going to care the most about the customer walking through the door, not the beer. Mm. And yep. I recommended the person I thought was the best. And he went with that person. And it was not the person who knew the most about beer. It was the person who was the most organized, who was the most detail oriented and who helped me run the beer department when I wasn't there. Yeah. And had, she didn't know the most about beer. Hello, I am a science teacher at high schools and I love teaching science, especially with physics because fives really like to see concepts and I love sharing that kind of things and I wait for the light of understanding in my students' eyes when they really understand and then they can start seeing the world with those different eyes that I've shared with them. 
highest praise I've ever gotten as a teacher was when a student came back to me a little bit disgruntled and said, you've poisoned me. I was just walking into the grocery store and I suddenly started seeing free body diagrams on everything I was doing. And I just got the greatest sense of satisfaction from that and started to giggle inside because that has been my entire goal was to share those new eyes and new perspectives with my students. I'm a Christian author. I write historical and contemporary romance. I can't seem to stick to one genre because there's just too much out there to learn about and to write about. I use all of these ideas in stories or from my characters. Sometimes it just ends up being a snippet of dialogue that I've overheard. I tend to pick up books like The Emotional Thesaurus just for fun and relaxation because it fills my need for knowledge. And what I don't like about being a five in my job is that you have to be personable when you talk to readers. You have to share yourself through newsletters or through social media, or at least I feel that I do. If I want to get my readers to bond with me, I think bond is just way too much of a word for a five, but I want them to relate to me in some manner. And to do that, I have to share parts of myself and my life, and it's very difficult. The other thing I don't like about being a five as a writer is I have to attend conferences, and that's a lot of people, folks. And while I'm there, and it will get me there because I know I'm going to come away with so much knowledge, yet I probably talk to three people and I come home and I sleep for a week. And that's what it's like to be an author as a five with a six wing for me. You know, that's a really good point. And I think that that's something that you know, we can learn from as fives is we, if we're ever in that position where we're, we have to convince someone something or sell something or just in general, get people to like you. <laughs> yeah. It's not about how much, you know, yeah. if you start demonstrating all the stuff that you know, then you're just going to make someone feel dumb. Yep. And so if you can think about it instead of how can I understand this person well enough to make them feel good about talking to me or make them feel good about the decision that they're making or help them better understand themselves or better understand. Like it's all about understanding the person and helping them. And when, if you can, if you make, make that switch, man, your whole social life and your whole like really career opportunities too, if you're in that place, will completely open up. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. if you're a interviews go yes. completely differently. If you're a five who can understand people, it's kind of like you have superpowers. <laughs> yeah. You might as well be seeing through walls because <laughs> you're metaphorically seeing yeah, through walls. Yeah, because you can all of the observation and all of the problem solving and all of the like breaking down complex things and apply it to a person. Yeah. And if you can do it in a way that helps them feel understood and seen, holy shit, is that valuable? Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what field you're in. No. Like, that is super valuable. And yeah. and it, whether you're an employee or you're a business owner, like that is what you should be focusing on as a five is like, let's like hone all of our skills and refocus on how can I understand a person well enough to help them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
your abilities are the magnifying glass and they're the ant. <laughs> no, I think I think that's been a huge thing. It's taken me a really long time to figure that out because I think one of the differences between you and I throughout our 20s was that you had kind of a trajectory that you were following and I didn't mm. really have that. Yeah. Um, a lot of the things that I wanted to do, I felt like were so outside the box. And so, and, and I honestly, if I could go back to being 21, knowing what I know now, it, I probably could have made anything work <laughs> um, <laughs> just because, you know, we're making this podcast work and hopefully, you know, this is going somewhere, but the work that I'm putting into just this podcast is more work than I've ever put into my music career when I was like, younger than yeah. I, you know what I mean? Yep. And I, and, and being able to put an insane amount of energy into one direction and one thing. And so, and, and being able, also, I'm not afraid to fail, which is a different thing for me in the past. You know, now I'm like, you know, I'm just going to go this way and see until it doesn't work anymore. And then I'll change when that moment happens. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge change for me from, you know, when I, in my twenties, but I mean, I'll be 35 this year. So it took me a long time to figure that out. And, but now that I've, it, it, there was a switch that flipped in my head where all of a sudden I realized I actually can do anything I want to do. And it took a long time to get there, but now I'm there. And I mean, the job I have now is not something that I want to do forever, but I'm fine with doing it for now because whatever I'm learning now, I'll be able to apply later. And so I think it's just hoarding all of these skills and these theories about things and these concepts and being able to use them in the future to better yourself in whatever career that you go into. So the real thing is, it doesn't matter what career you go into as a five. You might have started this episode thinking, oh, they're going to tell us like what kind of careers you should be in. Right. No, that's not what this is. That's but it ended up not. Is. Yeah, it's not what this is about. It's about <laughs> applying yourself in whatever career and realizing and also but, all, but realizing the red flags. I mean, I think that there's probably jobs you can think right now, the jobs that you would hate as a listener right now. You know exactly what jobs you have hated in your life. <laughs> And you know what things you hated about those jobs. I know that for a fact, I the competence of the person in charge of me very much had to do with the satisfaction mm -hmm. I found in that job. Yeah. And I would I'd take it a step further, too, because it's not just about competence. It's about trust and autonomy. Yeah. So sure. And that's a that's the first thing that I ask whenever I'm interviewing with a new company is how do you go about giving your teammates, your employees, whatever you call them, the ability to fail. Because going back to mm. when I worked for Nathan, that was one of the biggest things that he did was he trusted me enough to let me have the freedom to fail. Yeah. And he gave me way more responsibility than I had experience for, but he trusted me enough that I would all, I would try to do the right thing. And whether or not it was successful didn't matter because we could learn from it and move on to the next thing. And when you're put in a position where you're micromanaged, where you're not allowed to experiment, that's when you really start to feel, especially as a five, you start to feel so claustrophobic and like the life is sucked out of you because we're naturally experimental. Yeah. <clears throat> like we want to, we have a hypothesis. We want to test it. We want to validate things. We want to try it. And if that doesn't work, then we try something else. And if that doesn't work, then we try something else. Like we, we want to have a broad and deep understanding of everything that we can. And you can't do that if you're not allowed to take a misstep. If you're not allowed to kind of go off the path, it doesn't work. And I think that's probably, you hit on something really great here is that it's not necessarily about the career or the market or the vertical or whatever. It's about the leadership 
and the, the structure that you're put into, mm-hmm. whether or not you have that autonomy and that trust, and you are able to be your your full self and bring your full self to your work. I think that's the the key there for, I mean, fives, but also just like everyone in general. Sure, and and maybe even like maybe a, a, a caveat to that, or not a caveat, but a uh, another part to that mm-hmm. to that idea is to that I think we want to be a part of a team, you know, and I, mm-hmm. which I think, I, or maybe that's not everybody, but I know for me with my six wing. <laughs> yeah. I think that being a part of a team where I feel like there's a mutual respect where we're working well together, where I'm hmm. accepted as a part of that team to move forward together. There's something about being a part of a team that I've always really loved. There's something when I played sports, I identified with that whenever I, I mean, something as simple and minute as playing video games with my brother online. And we're yeah. both playing something where we have a goal and we're doing it together. Yeah is something like, I don't care that much about video games. I care a lot about doing activities where two people are working or multiple people are working towards the same thing together and supporting one another. And that's something that I've never really had in a lot Mm. of jobs. I was actually given the illusion of that at the job that I moved to Nashville for that you helped me get the job for. (laughs) And they were a terrible team. (laughs) So that that brings up something really key that I, I did want to talk about, which is, you know, you talk about... Really what you're saying is you want to be part of something that's bigger than yourself. Yes. And, you know, we're not the only type that, that feels that way. I think that where we come from as a five is we want to know and be as certain as we can that the energy that we're putting forth has the maximum effect possible. Mm-hmm. And we know that if it's just us, it's not going to be that way. Yeah. And and so for me, I know especially it's about the the effort and the energy because it's so sacred to me. It's such a precious resource. That if I'm putting it towards something, I want to be as certain as I can that it's going to be worth that. Yeah. And so that that brings us back around. And, and I wanted to talk a little bit about this because I don't know if it's because – I don't know if it's different for us because I've a, I'm a four-wing and, and you're a six-wing or not. But I – and this is less true now, and I'll, I'll kind of get into that. But I really wanted to feel like my work had a purpose. Like I was working towards something much bigger, much grander. And that I'm not just clocking in and clocking out. And that was actually one of the biggest things for me when I was hopping from job to job is like, I would get into the job and I would realize that like, this just feels really meaningless. Like, what are we actually doing here? What impact are we actually making? Like, are we changing anyone's life? Are we making the world a better place in any way? Like, and I could get really cynical about it. And then I would hop on to the next thing. Yep. And this job that you talked about, this company that we worked for in Nashville, it was my first real true product manager position. And I knew that I was wired for the role. I had no doubt about that. Yep. But it ended up probably being the worst experience of my career. And it just happened to be the the way that it was set up. There was a lot of things kind of converging on one. It was my completely unrealistic expectations because I had worked remotely for like two and a half years up to that point. Mm. And I had these expectations of going back. It was, it was very um, similar to when I was uh, homeschooled and went into public school. I had these. I was just thinking it. Yeah. <laughs> perfect parallel. Uh, yeah. I, I was just about to say, you've never done that before. Right. I, I missed <laughs> that camaraderie of 
that in person being part of a big team because I was part of a startup and I wanted to have those meaningful interactions and relationships again. And I came into it and it was very much not that. I felt it was so weird. It was like this energy where when you're a kid and your parents are having a fight and then you walk into the room and they're not having a fight still, but you could feel that tension yes. and kind of, you know, cut that with a knife. That's how I felt walking into this place. And it was I mean, no, my parents never stopped fighting when I walked in. <laughs> <laughs> they were very honest about it. But I do know what you're talking about. That's, pro- that's probably healthy, actually. I don't know. Yeah. I had unrealistic ex- expectations about a lot of things. And also, the it was a weird timing because I didn't realize that's coming into it. But the company was in this big push to get acquired. And so they started very quickly making a lot of changes that made it feel really corporate and really structured and like really kind of cutthroat. And I... If, if things become really political, that puts me in a real bad place because that just it, all that stuff is irrational to me. And you're making decisions based on complete nonsense and just yeah. who can get ahead. And when it was it was a really terrible time. I spent like 18 months afraid I was going to get fired. I remember that. Yeah. And was, every and, conversation was yeah, terrible. Yeah, it was so bad. And then you were, and then unfortunately I brought you into that. And, and this was a terrible time for you as well because of everything you were going through. Well, yeah. I mean, it was a team that I jumped into and was way over my head on. And they told me in the beginning, oh, it's fine. Like, it's fine. You don't know coding. Like you can learn about, you know, you can learn about coding on, as we go and we'll teach you and it'll be fine. You'll be part of our team. And I came in thinking, wow, this is a really tight knit team. Like this will be really fun to be a part of. And then what I realized very quickly was this is a really tight knit team. They don't want me here. Hmm. And I felt incredibly excluded. I mean, the next person that they hired after me was somebody who used to work for Apple. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know anything about coding. And, you know, and I tried to jump in and learn and do the best I could, but also too, you don't have to know about coding to help people with how do I send an email? Yeah. We were in email marketing. I was in customer service. So I was just I was just customer support. I was on the phone. So like to be fair, I learned the platform pretty quickly and was able to answer questions on the phone very quickly. I thought it was that looking back on it, I'm a kind of it blows my mind that they did not think I was good enough. But what it ended up being was I just wasn't the type of person that they wanted on the team. Hmm. And that person was somebody who was not motivated by the same things they were motivated by. And also, too, let to be honest, I was going through a divorce. I found yeah. out in the middle of that job that she actually wanted a divorce and wasn't moving to Nashville. When I first mm-hmm. moved up there, I thought she was going to move up there, too. And so, you know, there was a lot that changed in that time. I was not sleeping well because I had an undiagnosed sleep apnea that was going on. So yeah. I had... Eventually, I had intense migraines from sitting in front of a computer screen for nine hours a day Mm -hmm. and not sleeping at night and trying to get that worked out and taking time away. And of course, one time, eventually, they brought me in and was like, yeah, this is not going to work. You're taking too much time off. This was the day before I got my diagnosis that I had sleep apnea. And I was trying to tell them, like, I had migraines so bad I was running to the restroom and throwing up. Like, (laughs) you know, and I was miserable. And beyond that, yeah, I was excluded from every conversation and every situation. When I first got there, it was great for like two weeks. And then was immediately shunned out of the team. But it's all the wrong things, all the wrong reasons, all yeah. the wrong motivations. It was never going to work. And it was terrible this, timing. Yeah, everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I was like almost immediately on probation because I was trying to do these things and I just wasn't doing it the way they wanted. And they wasn't asking the questions they wanted me to ask. And they I, everything about the mentality wasn't communicated to me in the beginning, wasn't communicated well. And then they act, they treated me like I was stupid for not knowing what mm. they wanted me to know. There were a lot of unwritten social 
things mm-hmm. that you had no context for coming in. Right. And if you didn't have the skills or the, um, just awareness, the awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, can be difficult as a five to pick up on some of the social stuff. Like yeah. you could felt excluded. Yep. And, uh, and I, I felt that in a lot of ways too. And it was, you know, I was on a completely different team. I was on the product side, but it was rough. I never felt like I belonged there. Mm-mm. And it was, I had some successes. And when I finally felt like I was like, okay, I'm starting to get the hang of this. Everything changed. Yep. And it was like, okay, we're completely changing. We're going to go up market. And as a company, we're changing what we were focused on. And like, and my team was out of the, two of the four things that were required for that were on my team to figure out. And I remember just feeling completely out of depth and set up for failure. Yep. And I, and then I got the email. <laughs> so I got this email that was a meeting request and it was to meet by a bench outside of the office. Oh no. And I'm getting chills just thinking of this yeah. because I had a similar experience. <laughs> Oh, that email that I got was like, we're meeting at 8 a.m. an hour before we open yeah. uh, the offices. I was like, nah, this is not yeah, going to be good. This is not going to be good. And I remember walking up and seeing my boss sitting on the bench. And I could feel the tension coming off of him. Yeah. And like my spidey sense started tingling. Yeah. And I just knew I'm like, I'm about to get fired. And, and I started running through, like my monkey brain just went crazy. Like, yeah. You're predicting running through yeah. all of the, what are my friends going to think? Like, what are my coworkers oh, going to think? Okay. Like, how am I going to tell my wife that I let her down? Right. And our one-year-old, like how, you know, how am I going to, like, are we going to go homeless? Like, how am I going to find another job? You know, we, we've signed this lease on this like luxury apartment downtown, ridiculous like apartment, ridiculous. Yeah. And all this stuff was racing through my head. Yeah. And I remember I walked up to the bench and sat down across from him. And it was this particularly hot May day in Nashville. And the mm. sun was just beating down on yep. my face. And like I could, I felt shell shocked. I could barely hear what he was saying. And essentially, what he said was, You are a great fit for the company, but you don't have it, what it takes to be a product manager. And so we are giving you an option. Either you can go back to be a software engineer or you can, you can leave. And those are my two options. And I said, okay, let's talk this through for a second. Here are all the things that I've accomplished. Here's all the things that I've done. Here's all the things that I've not been asked to do, but going above and beyond to not only help like the work that my, my product pod is doing, but the, the product team in general, right. like across the whole organization. Yeah. Like these are the things that I helped improve there. Mm-hmm. And was not asked to do that. Anytime I, I, I'm constantly asking for feedback. Anytime I've asked for feedback, it's just been, okay, yeah, it looks good. Nothing real, nothing tangible. I've never been given negative feedback. I've asked for a review. I had my annual review in January and this is May. I've asked for it like 10 times and it's never come through. Mm-hmm. I want to know how I'm doing. I want this feedback. I crave it. I want to be better. If you could just tell me how I could be what you're looking for, I know I can get there. Yep. I know that I can. And he looked at me and he said, we just don't have time for you to get there. And I said, okay. And so I did what any sane person would do. I said, okay, well, I'll go back to being a software engineer. And while I'm doing that, I'm just going to go look for another job. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember going through this process of looking for another product job. And 
I just felt like I was interviewing for the same thing over and over again. And so it forced me to take a step back. And I always say there are two questions that completely changed my life. And the first one is, I stopped asking, what job do I want? And I started asking, what do I want my life to look like? And I remember I read this book by Pat Flynn called Will It Fly? And it's really about you know validating business ideas. But he has this exercise in it called the airplane test or the airport test. And it's basically five years from now, you run into a friend at the airport and they ask you how it's going. And you say, amazing, I'm living my dream life, blah, 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 blah. What is going on in your life that makes you say that? And break it down into four different categories and in detail, write out in these four different categories, what does your life look like in five years? Hmm. And I did that and I realized the path that I was on was never going to take me to where I wanted to go. And I remember I had this realization one after, this afternoon and I knew, I'm like, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I have to tell my wife. And so I told Amy. Yeah. I, I Well, first I, I went and talked to her that evening and the whole day leading up to that, I'm like, I was terrified. Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm letting her down. We have a one-year-old and I am, I'm saying like, I want to throw away my whole career for what? I don't know. I have no idea what I'm going to do. For the opportunity to find out. Yeah, yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. And I went and talked to her and I said, and I told her what was going on. And she said, I've been waiting for you to figure this out for a while. <laughs> She's like, do what you got to do. I fully support you. Oh, that's so nice. It's so amazing. And yeah. I, I literally went in the next day and said, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm out. I, I can't do this anymore. I'm a professional counseling astrologer. And what I think I like most about being a five is that it's very similar to Virgo energy. And I am a Virgo and I have a Virgo Venus. And so within those frameworks and understanding the five, it is about the purity of life. And so that is a synonym for perfection. Now, understand being the 46 year old or almost 46 year old that I am, that perfection is unattainable, but it doesn't mean that we can't try to achieve something to its greatest benefit for ourselves. And what I mean by that is that the more that we work towards something in a craft, the more efficiently useful it becomes for yourself. And then in turn, it becomes a service for other people. Now, what I don't like about the five is something that led me to understand about my wing, which is a four wing. And that there's a lot of emotional ties that I have within myself that didn't really sit with some of the explanations that I've ever heard about the five. And again, I'm not an expert on the five. My niche is astrology. But I always consider myself a thinking man's dreamer. And that dreamer part was something that maybe wasn't always identified when I was reading about the five. And thus, that four wing is there and it connects to my cancer moon and my astrological chart, which is very deeply emotionally conscious and so I'm very aware of people and their emotions and their feelings along with my own and, and can share them and to relate to them. That for me is the essence in a lot of ways of what is representative of the five and my wing four when it comes to the lens of my profession, astrology. I had no idea what I was going to do. I think we had about two months of runway before we completely ran out of cash. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. Like, I had no plan. Mm -hmm. I, I just knew, I like, I've just got to figure this out. And we moved out of our, you know, luxury apartment into my in-law's basement in Chattanooga. That's how we ended up back here. A week later, we found out we were pregnant with our second kid. 
Oh God, I remember that. Oh man. <laughs> Ooh, yep, I remember that. And you know, I remember thinking back to when I was making this decision of like, what I'm talking about is irresponsible because I had this six figure salary. Mm. And I had these amazing benefits and I had these parental leave, like all the, like the cushy, the cushy tech job stuff that everybody envies. Right. I had all of that. Right. And I threw it all away. And then we found out we were having another baby Uh, that was not planned. And (laughs) I, I remember at this point where I could have looked at that and said, okay, I made the wrong decision. I'm going to go back and course correct. But I knew in that moment that what actually would be responsible for me would be to be true to myself. And to forge forward into the unknown and to be an example for my kids on how to do that, on how to stay true to yourself, on how to, quote unquote, be irresponsible, right? To kind of buck the system and conventional wisdom and say, I am going to listen to my intuition. I'm going to listen to who I am as a person and I'm going to go this way. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to figure it out. And you know what? That was the best decision I made in my life. And it wasn't for the reasons that most people would think, right? So what ended up happening was I ended up starting my own marketing and web agency and went down that path of entrepreneurship. But it wasn't about the business that I was building because I learned very early on, thankfully, that my business is a direct reflection of me. And so if I want to grow my business, I have to grow myself first. Mm. And by cutting that safety net, it made me, it forced me to confront all of the stuff all of the unhealthy thought patterns and behaviors and habits and things that I had not wanted to deal with my whole life, it forced me to confront those and to do something about it. And I went through like life coaching. I went through like all these different mentorships, all the stuff that helped me break through all of that to evolve as a person, to become the type of person who could have a successful business and do that. And I grew that agency to, you know, past six figures in its first year. Because of the advances that I made with myself. And I am a completely different person now than I was three or four years ago Yeah, because of those changes. And so that was a, a, coming back around to me as a five, that non-attachment to the conventional wisdom, to the way things are quote unquote supposed to be, right? Where I feel like we have a great ability to go outside of the norm. And on at its worst, it makes us feel really isolated and alienated. At its best, we are we're pioneers. Mm-hmm. We're voyagers. Like yeah. we're the ones like charting uncharted territory. And we can go out and we can do that because we don't have that attachment to the status quo. And it was the best thing for me. I completely changed my life. But it's interesting how it kind of all comes back around full circle. Where last year in 2020, as with most people, it completely changed my priorities. (laughs) (laughs) And I realized, you know, I had started another podcast and and originally it was for my business and to try to help attract my target customer. And then as soon as I started it, I realized like, I love podcasting. Yeah. And I wanted to figure out how to make that podcast into a business. But the more I went down that path, I realized that it just wasn't, I enjoyed it. And I, I love serving that target audience, which is content creators. And I, I had amazing conversations and built incredible relationships. I got to interview some of my marketing heroes. Like yeah. It was unreal how fast that podcast took off. But something was off. And part of it was I got into this place where I put all this pressure on it to be a business. And it forced me kind of to not be my authentic self in a way. Mm. And it just, it stopped feeling fun to me. 
And it was in that where this podcast was born. Because what happened was I was last year, I decided that I was done with the agency or I was going to start phasing it out and focusing more on my other podcasts and try to turn that into a business. And then the pandemic hit and I realized like, you know, all my projects started drying up. I'm like, I've got to get a job, but everybody was in a hiring freeze. And I actually went through, I got to final round with six different companies. I remember this. This was torturous for me to watch you. So torturous. Like it was just like, I mean, I, with some of my dream companies. Right. Mm -hmm. I would get the final round with, and it was like, we think you're awesome. You're a great fit. If we were hiring two product managers, we would hire you. But this other person has this like random bit of experience that we feel like is more aligned with what we're trying to do. And so we're going to go with them. And it was so painful until finally I landed at the place where I'm at now, where it absolutely worked out the way that it needed to work out because I am in the exact role at the exact company in it's in the, the exact time that I need to be there. Yeah. And I feel, and with a great boss, yeah, a great relationship all of with that, him, like which, everything. by the way, my boss is a five wing four. So like, just like, like we have so many similarities <laughs> and, but, and a listener of this podcast. And, but I want to come back to what changed in me to allow that to happen. Because what I had realized before is I'd had this story of I'm an entrepreneur now left my full-time job and went out on my own and I made it work and I grew a successful business. And I got really attached to that until I realized like I was just creating a new job for myself, but I was a really shitty boss. Like <laughs> it's just, it was not what I wanted to be doing. Yeah. And, and it didn't really allow the freedom as much as I thought it would to do the things that I wanted to do. And through all of this process and, and these, this journey that I've been on, bringing it back around to where I was before at my previous product job and the night and day differences before one of the big unrealistic expectations that I put on this job was I had this idea that it was going to fulfill something for me. I was missing this part of this identity of who I was and this job was going to help me realize that. Yeah. And that's just not, if you're placing that on a job or anything external, you're setting yourself up for failure and to be disappointed. And that's exactly what I did. The difference for me now is that I know who I am and I don't have existential crises anymore. Like I used to have them like every other week. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't have that anymore because the, like the journey that I've been on, I know who I am. I'm going to do what I do. Now I'm just looking for where can I do that? What's the most effective place that I can do that right now in this season? And where I am is exactly where I need to be for that. But it also created the freedom for me to step back from what I was doing and say, okay, I'm going to take a break from all that other stuff. And if I strip all that stuff away, all the quote unquote stuff I have to do, what do I really care about? What do I really enjoy? And I came back to podcasting. I'm like, I love having awesome conversations. Yep. And drinking bourbon or wine or whatever we happen to be drinking. With your best friend. <laughs> with with interesting people, right? <laughs> and and helping other people who are like me, who are on the same journey. Yeah. And that's how this podcast was really born. Is you and I, you know, we've been trying to figure out for a while what we wanted to do. And it just made so much sense when I said, let's create a podcast for Enneagram Fives. Because I would listen to that. Yeah. It was it like like no one else is really going deep the way that I want. Let's do it. Let's figure it out. And, and then we come back into this this beautiful place of we didn't know what we were doing. 
No. Nope. We just said, hey, we're going to sit down and have a conversation and see how it goes. And yeah, like, hit record and start yeah, talking. It was, yeah. And it was awesome because we got done with that first one. I'm like, this is it. I yep. know this is I know this is what we should be doing right now. Yeah. And I know people are going to resonate with this. And I've been completely blown away with how much, how quickly that has been. Like, yeah. it's, it's been nuts. And so I I say all that to say, if you're looking for that perfect job or the, the thing outside of yourself that's going to fill that for you, you're looking in the wrong place. Because if you can get to the point where you can reflect and look at who you are, what you should be doing comes out of who you are. Yep. And that, and this podcast is a perfect example of that. And that's how I found the job that I'm at. That's how we started this podcast. That's how I'm in a point in my life where, you know, after the just insane stress and craziness of 2020, I'm at the most beautiful place in my life. Yeah. And it all comes from me being first accepting who I am and being aware of who I am and then owning that and drawing those lines and saying, this is what I'm looking for. And it's going to be, I'm going to do me no matter what. Yeah. And so let's find a place that allows me to do that the most right now. And that's yeah. where I am. I mean, I think I've had a similar experience and a similar path in that way. I don't think you know, I didn't have, I, I, I had uh, while I was at the last job that I was at, you know, I, I think I, I'd spoken about this previously about how, I'd kind of gone as far as I was going to go, right? I did all the things that I want to do. This job was kind of going to be smooth sailing for the next person <laughs> as far as I was concerned. And I, it was time to find that next person and me to move on. So I started looking around and putting out feelers. And I did, I went through three interviews with three different companies for the same exact job. <laughs> yeah, they I all, that. they all turned me down for the same reason, which oh. was, I wasn't exactly what they were looking for. Yeah. One of my close friends that I love in the industry got one of the jobs that I was looking for. And he's a little older. He's in his forties and he's been doing it a while. And he's an amazing salesperson who had had another job and he has wine experience. And so, you know, they got, they were like, we really want somebody with more, more wine experience is what they said. And I go through all three of these. And after the third one, I was like, Ugh, should I re rethink this? Should I go somewhere, do something else? I really don't want to start over. I'm just going to hold out. I'm just going to, you know, a holding pattern and just see what happens. And then with less than a month later, my dream company that I knew in my heart of hearts was the right spot for me to start at, at least before I move forward, says, hey, we got, we're hiring. Do you want, let me, I'm going to get you an interview. And I was like, please, that's exactly what I want. And so I go in there, I try to do this interview and, and I walked out thinking I killed that interview. <laughs> like I knew it. It was the perfect fit. It was the first interview I'd had out of four interviews now where I was like, yeah, I think I got that job. Like I, I'm there. I'd be real surprised if I didn't get that job. And so I waited and waited. And then a couple of days later, I, I'm like, I find out that the what the COO of the company wants to schedule a call with me. And I'm like, nice. I got this job. Nice. <laughs> and so, and all he wanted to call and talk to me about was the culture of the company. Mm -hmm. and what I like to do for fun. He wanted to sell you on the job. Yeah. Well, he wanted to see if I was a good fit for his company. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that in this regard, I worked for this position. I wanted it to happen and it happened. And mm -hmm. I'm okay with that going forward because what that taught me was a lot about myself and a lot about if a year from now I decide that something else is what I want to happen, then I'll make that happen too and it'll be fine. And that's a big difference from my previous self. 
previous versions of myself up into this point, the new iteration of who I am at this point in my life is someone who is kind of been freed from that idea that I'm held captive by my circumstances and I'm no longer allowed or I'm no longer allowed or I'm not allowed to get outside of that. And I'm, I don't feel like I'm being held back in that way. And so it's easier for me to wake up in the morning and just go and do the thing that I'm doing. It's not, you know, I'm not insanely passionate about this job. There's a lot of perks and I've getting, I'm getting to meet people from all over the world, which is crazy. And what's cool. One thing I've learned is this industry that I'm in is the smallest industry in the world in the sense that everybody I've talked to was like, yeah, you wouldn't believe I, I, I work with people now that are heads of wineries or companies all over the world that I was working with side by side as equals 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And it's like you, everybody's paths constantly cross over and over and over again as you move in different areas. And it always benefits everybody. It's Mm -hmm. always this weird network of people. And so, you know, and then of course that excites me because what I love is this idea of like a weird community of people that's outside of the norm. And anytime for those of you who are listening, who work in the service industry, you get this. It's a different version of human beings. Like we're just all, it's a different thing. People who work in restaurants and bars and work until 3 a.m. every night and do that thing and then eventually move up and do things that are selling to those restaurants and bars or suppliers who are importing and doing things and bringing in for the people to sell to those bars. Like it's all this chain and but it's all the same industry and it's a different world. And so that's something that all of a sudden for the first time in my life, I feel included in a part of a team and a part of a world that I didn't know that I wanted to be a part of. And I'm taking that for what it is and and the value it has in my life right now. And and it's fine. It's great. I don't know how it'll benefit me in the future, but for the first time in my life, I feel like what I'm doing now will benefit me in the future in some way, no matter what I decide to do in the future. And the company I work for is really great. And it's a small team of people and it's exactly what I always wanted. Um, But you know, it's funny too. I'll say this is just a side note. It's, you know, when I watch movies and TV shows and stuff, I always identify with the one character in a TV show that has that, niche thing that they do that everybody depends on them for. It's always the thing that, you know, I think about, uh, uh, almost like Star Wars esque sets or Fifth Element or something, where everything's like really crammed together, and you're in like this little nook, and like everybody comes to you for this thing, and you always pop out of your little nook, and it's like I got this thing for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean, though. But you're that person who's filling that void that everybody else needs because they yep. don't know how to do or they don't know the thing that you know. Uh huh. I've always identified with that person in every movie. And I'm always like, oh, yeah. And even as a kid, I can remember, like, when I was a kid, I imagined myself being that person Yep. um, for everybody. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of fun to, in some ways, I'm that person now. And Mm -hmm. my job and maybe with this podcast, I don't don't know how the podcast would fit into it. But because I'm not claiming to know anything on this podcast, really. (laughs) (laughs) We're not Enneagram experts or anything, but... Yeah, I mean, I think it's fun to think back through and and how it all of that plays into who I am now. Yeah. And I'm sure people who are listening can relate to that. So, I have had more careers than I can chronicle in two minutes. Um, So one thing that I find interesting, especially about being an Enneagram 5, is how I have been able to kind of thrive in the pivot, (laughs) in the reinvention. I'm actually married to an active duty service member and have been for almost 15 years now. And so every couple of years, we pack up and we move to a new location. And while that's challenging for most of our population, military spouses actually suffer from a normally a 24 
25-ish, 28% unemployment rate, and the pandemic has actually caused that to spike upwards of 38%. Just due to the lifestyle that we lead, I've actually never had huge issue uh, with finding new things, new industries, new jobs, new career paths um, to be able to jump into. And I think a lot of that has to do is with my Enneagram 5-ness. I am just fascinated by a, a new course of study, a new thing. I work well, really well virtually, which I've been doing since way before it was cool. I have been a remote worker for about 10 years now. I thrive in being alone. I can turn on my Zoom for however long I have scheduled out and then turn it off. And that's all the people I need. It's fantastic. As long as I I've budgeted it, you know, budgeted my time appropriately. And I really, really, really love research. So um, one of the things I'm most proud of is developing this startup that helps military families relocate. And what that entailed was actually researching over 85 different duty stations across the country as if I were moving to that location and pushing out content to support decisions for families that are moving. You bring up a really good point, which is all of the stuff in my life, I feel like has led me up to this moment as well. The I know how to set up film equipment because I did that. I I know how to how to interview people and how to like carry a conversation because I was forced to do that. Like, you know, yeah. I all the stuff that we do, it's stuff everything that I, here is because of our past lives. Exactly. Yeah. We wouldn't have been prepared for this moment. If we hadn't stepped out and done things that we were uncomfortable with to learn and grow and and bring on new skills. Right. And now I feel like kind of what you were saying, I feel like I can do anything. Yeah. And it's it's a weird feeling because especially the path that I went on with running my own business for three years, there's like nothing that phases me now. Yeah. I used to be, I used to have this really bad victim mentality and I used to be- Same. Yeah, uh, I used to have a, a difficult time with uh, really difficult conversations because I didn't know how to navigate them. And I just always felt like I was coming off as an asshole. I didn't know how to like do any of that stuff. But I've had in my agency, I had to have so many difficult conversations. Like, yeah. for example, we had these, so this was like spring of 2019. And I had these two really big projects that were going on at the same time. And like $50,000 worth of, of projects. And I had this project manager that I had hired about six months prior to run the projects. And I finally got into the, to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to hand these off to you. You're going to run them and, and just keep me updated. So I was checking in with him weekly, I was getting status updates weekly, making sure that everything's going on pace. And every week, every Friday, be like, yep, everything's good. We're good to go. I'm like, okay, great. Everything's going great. Yeah. And then that went by for several weeks until I'm like, you know, I feel like we had a milestone somewhere around here coming up. Yeah. And I went and looked at the project. I'm like, wait, the milestone was Friday. And he said, we're, everything's good, but I haven't seen anything for this milestone. So I checked in with the developer. Um, we're building this big, massive website. And I'm like, you know, what's the status? And he's like, I haven't heard from the project manager in a week. I'm like, you haven't heard from the project manager in weeks. Like what? <laughs> and I dug into it further and realized like this dude was not doing anything. He was just mm -hmm. taking a paycheck and he had already had like some other gig. He was lining up that he was about to bounce and was just checked out. Yeah. And so I'm in the middle of these two giant projects that I have to figure out. 
and I had to clean it all up and I had some really difficult conversations. And you know what? I came on the other side better. Like my clients were still happy. Yeah. I worked it out. I figured it out. And I feel like if I can do that kind of stuff, I can do anything. Like the company that I'm at now, I feel like I could be like, if someone said today, Hey, we want to just, we want to put you in charge. I'm like, all right, well, we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> you know? well, and I, think- I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not going to like try to oust the, the general <laughs> manager so that I can be a part of the company. But if someone came up to me and said, Hey, we want to run, you run all this stuff. I'm like, okay, well let's figure it out. Like we'll do it. You know, just because like, right. I, yeah. I, it's not. It, I feel like I've been battle tested enough where nothing really phases me. And I know that it, it's not about me at the end of the day. It's I can detach myself from the outcome and just right. say, let's focus on the problem and let's solve it. Yeah. And when you can learn how to pull your ego out of it like that, man, that that's really valuable. I mean, the fear of failure holds you back in so many Mm. areas of your life that you don't realize that I think that this is such a major, we've talked about it in past episodes, but this is such a major play player in this particular game, right? Is the fear of failure. And I think that that's something where, I mean, I've spent my entire life failing Mm -hmm. and in doing it over and starting over, whether it's, you know, multiple jobs, trying to do music over and over and over again, you have being married before and then getting a divorce. Like I, there's always, my life has been a start, stop and restart over and over again. Yeah. It's been the theme of my life. And so now, for the first time in my life, I don't feel like that's the pattern anymore, but it it took me figuring out what the problem was that was ca- keeping me in that cycle, mm-hmm. and the cycle was being afraid to fail. Yeah. I always would be so hard on myself, being starting over and doing it again, and, and there's always some part of me, a voice in the back of my head saying, this is good for you. You should enjoy this. You should enjoy beginning again, because this is another opportunity. It's a new day. It's a new dawn. Move forward. Do a new thing. And there was always a moment where I would be super motivated and make that rubber hit the road. And then I'd lose steam really quickly because the fear of failure would creep back in there. And yeah, I just don't feel that anymore. It's just, and maybe Mm. that's people like people that are much older than me, like to chalk that up to being in your thirties. Right. I think this is the phase of life we're in Yeah, because I feel that too. And the other piece of that is that when I made that decision to like, I cut off all safety nets. Right. When I left my job and didn't know what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. But what that did was it prevented me from overthinking everything. I'm like, not only did I leave everything, but I also now we have a baby coming. So I have a pretty finite timeline. Like I've got to get this figured out. And it forced me to take action. And once I started doing that, I started to get in the habit of that. Where prior to that, this phase of my life, it was all about, I'm just going to learn about it. You know, I'm just going to learn about all this stuff. Just dip my toes in the water and see how it feels. Yeah. And I would learn all these things, but I would never actually do the things. Right. And when I didn't, and, and, but the thing about that is my life didn't actually become interesting until I started doing the things. Yeah. And it's not about how much, you know, it's about what you do. And so many things like, honestly, the reason why. People will sit and listen to us for hours at a time on this podcast. It's because you and I have done interesting things. Like <laughs> we're interesting, and it, it's not hopefully. Be- yeah. yeah, I mean, well, we but we are like we have stories to tell because yeah. we've done things. Yeah, right. But if you never step out and put yourself out there, you're never going to have a story to tell. Yeah, twenty-one year old me, you would not want to sit here and listen to you for an hour. <laughs> 
and I think about the book slash movie version, and I think maybe I briefly mentioned this. I feel like in another episode, either that or I thought it, but the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, yeah, is a classic. I mean, I don't yeah. know. I don't. I'm not claiming that he's a five, but he, there's a lot of five things in his personality because I think about when I. When I watched that movie and pretended to read the book, um, (laughs) (laughs) I read some of the book that I, all I could think about when I was, when I was learning about this character was how much that person would have to know to daydream about the detail of all the things they Mm. would be pretending that they're doing. And no one, of course, no one thinks about that when they're watching the movie or reading the book, but there was so much detail. There's so many things he had to have known uh, Mm. some. And that, so there's, there's this idea of, how much do you know that you imagine you're doing this thing when you could just be doing the thing? Because if you know enough to be daydreaming about it, you know yeah. enough to be at least trying it Yeah, and see how it goes. If you're imagining riding on a horse, you should probably try to ride a horse, Yeah, you know? And that's a perfect example. That whole story is a perfect example of get off your ass and try it yeah. and see what happens because it's better to try and fail than to not try at all. And that's such a cliche, but it's so true because now moving forward in my life, I'm like this whole next phase of my life is going to be me actually trying and seeing what happens and not thinking about trying and being too afraid to, because that did not work out for me in the first 35 years of my life. I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. as a freelance copywriter for a colourful mix of businesses from many different sectors. In earlier days of my work life, it was normal to be tied down to rigid schedules and highly timed breaks. There wasn't much room to express myself creatively and I needed some rules that were bendy. What I love about freelancing is that you create your own work and schedule and you get to choose who you work with. Another great thing is that you are accountable for every decision you make and every idea you follow through with. So naturally, you need to know yourself very well because you'll need a lot of grit, self-discipline and self-compassion to achieve the outcomes you set because you're the only one setting all this work for yourself. And this is awesome for other freelancers that are fives because we all have the ability to master what we're intrigued in and we're excited by knowledge, yet we still stay open-minded and curious about what might be coming next. You know, I think that's a great place to bring it around full circle is stop thinking. Stop thinking. Don't live in your head. Yeah, just do it, man. (laughs) Just do it. Just do it. And if you take the people that I know that are most successful in life, are the people who just consistently take imperfect action. Yeah. They just get out there and they do something and they don't judge it. And they right. say, okay, yeah, it could be better. I'll learn that for next time. Next time it'll be a little bit better. And they just keep going and over and over and over again, because that's what it takes. And if we can train ourselves to get out of our head enough to do that, because we have all of this like vast knowledge that we can rely on, to, to inform the things that we do, man, it really is like a superpower. So if we can get out of our head long enough to take the action, to do the things, to live an interesting life, man, that's what it means to be a successful, to me, that's what it means to be a successful five in not only a career, but just life in general. Yeah. I mean, 
I, when you, the day that the moment she realized that the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates and the Elon Musks of the world weren't the smartest people in the world, but just the people who decided to keep doing the things over and over again, no matter what happened. Some people figure it out earlier in life. I think we're pretty average in the sense that we figured it out in our thirties. We're literally a living stereotype in that way. <laughs> you know, everybody says you figured out, you, you stop giving a shit in your thirties yeah, and you just are able to do the things you really want to do in your thirties. So we're av- average in that way. We're still were a status quo human beings, but you know, some people figure it out at 18 or 15 or 12 and they know they're going to do something great early on. And they're just not going to stop until they figure out what that thing is that they're going to do. That's great. And, but everybody has that ability to do that. And fives are definitely by no means an exception to that rule. And if you think you're going to do something great and you want to do something great, then keep doing everything until you find that thing that you're going to do. That's great. And just go down that path and see where it takes you. Yep. And if it takes you off a cliff, then start over and do it again. So, yeah. yeah. And it's never wasted effort. No, it's never, a, it, nothing, yep. you can't fail. Yep. There's no such thing as failure. Yep. It's never a wasted effort because like we said earlier, everything that we've done that we've tried has led us to where we are. Yeah. And what we're doing right now will lead us to whatever's next. Yeah. Whatever's next. And yeah. it's an exciting, it's an exciting journey to be on. Yeah. So cheers to whatever's next. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> Cody, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode. I also want to give a special thanks to our community members who shared their voice with us. If you enjoyed this episode and you're the type of person who likes helping others, would you do us a favor and share it with other people like you? If you found value in this conversation, they will too. If anything in this episode has resonated with you, or if you have any further thoughts or questions, I want to invite you to join our community of other people like you and continue the conversation at Enneagram5.com.